0: When Mark was seven, he was a pretty positive kid. So positive, in fact, that he decided to write a short story entitled, Wonderful
1: Things. The world is wonderful. I, me, moi is wonderful. I love the whole soul system. I hate nothing. I like everybody. I wonder, what if a new kid is born? Nah.
0: That's Mark reading about a few wonderful things in his life at age seven I'm Dan Meisner and this this is it you're here I'm here Winnipeg we're all here together this is grown-ups read things they wrote as kids nice to see you how you doing? This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live at the Park Theatre in Winnipeg, Manitoba, we have an Olympic snowboarding drug scandal, tips for defeating bullies, and two stories about getting into very deep trouble. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it's a great way to connect who we used to be with who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid and stick around. One of the toughest parts about being a teenager is that, kind of by definition, you're caught in between two worlds. You're not a little kid anymore, but at the same time, you're not yet an adult. And even though you might still have goofy, innocent little kid impulses, past a certain point, they stop being, shall we say, appropriate. When Angie was 15, she discovered this firsthand when her class went on an overnight band trip. Live on stage in Winnipeg, here's Angie, reading from her diary.
3: Tomorrow we find out if we are in trouble for what we did on the band trip. (laughs) I feel guilty and sickly in my stomach. Oh man, it sounds so bad. There is a part of me that is sure we did nothing wrong, but I'm still afraid and I can't just stop worrying about it. I wish it never happened, but I know it did. If onlys don't matter, but I wonder how much happier I'd be now if I'd spent that evening differently. If I just hadn't bought that top. (laughs) I wouldn't have done this at all, or at least, I wouldn't feel so embarrassed or ashamed about it. And I'd be able to think with every part of my brain that this is the dumbest thing ever and we did nothing wrong. Oh, the embarrassment. Will I ever be able to talk to Mr. C again? (laughs) He couldn't look me in the eyes. He said, um, no, we didn't blow it, but I feel like we did. I feel like I blew something on the band trip. (laughs) that I ruined my chances and slandered myself to all my teachers and oh Mr. H all for what one silly stupid ten minute interval of self-conscious bed jumping that darn shirt I guess I can start to see how people call lingerie the devil I thought it wasn't flirty, because I was wearing a cape and farting. (laughs) But that isn't what the chaperone's letter said. It just said, Angie broke into the boys' room and shut the door and she was wearing lingerie. Thank you. This is Angie from Winnipeg Calling. Um, Just to be clear about what happened, I put on some lingerie along with a big cape and some blue tights and busted into the boys' hotel room on the band trip and uh, started like tackling them and putting them in headlocks and stuff. Um, And that was really it. But um, I guess for the chateau who walked in on things, it looked a lot more scandalous than it actually
0: was. Angie was not the only reader at our Winnipeg show who read about getting into trouble. In 1972, our next reader, Kevin, was in grade 6. And one day, Kevin's teacher, Mr. Reed, stepped out of the classroom for a minute. He left the class alone. And while he was away the class got a little rowdy, maybe a bit too loud. Anyhow, when Mr. Reed came back to the class and found everybody loud and misbehaving, he got mad. So mad, in fact, that he ordered everyone in class to write an essay all about why they were never going to do anything to make the teacher mad again. Now, what's great about this essay is that Kevin hadn't seen it or thought about it for decades. He handed this thing in, More than 40 years ago, and just a couple months ago, Kevin's grade 6 teacher, Mr. Reed, sent him a copy. Please welcome Reading Something He Wrote When
4: He Was 11 Years Old, Kevin.
5: (laughs) Essay, April 20th, 1972 why we should never put you in this mood is so you will not shout at us so we do not ruin your whole day. So you will not put us in the back so you will not put us outside. So we will not have to write essays so you will not make us put our heads down so we do not have to sit up straight. So we do not have to stop everything and sit up so you will not break us in two. (laughs) So, you will not send us to the principal's office, so you will not send us to the vice-principal's office, so we will not miss gymnastics, so we can go home at night, (laughs) so we can watch the games, so we can play in the games, so that when we are in the classroom and look outside, we will see kids playing and wish we were out there. (laughs) So we have a lot more time to do things. So we can go home to have lunch. (laughs) So you do not take away any of our privileges. So so we can get work done more quickly. So we can get out of doors more often. So we can get out a lot earlier. (laughs) So we can have more time for... Grammar, math, history, geography, art, physical education, literature, music, and pilot library. So get up more spare time to get other work done. <laughs> if he is mad here and goes to another class, when he comes back, he will be more mad. <laughs> he could make us do our five to ten times tables each. He could take away some of our physical education programs. He could make us do everything at home. He could make it that every time we talk, we put our heads down. He could make it that every time we talk, we go to the back with our arms up for 15 minutes or more. (laughs) Some ways to prevent this is to keep our mouths shut when other people are talking. Stop talking on pilot library period. If we do all these things, Mr. Reed will not do what he did today by Kevin (laughs) Rollison.
0: Young love is exciting. It is new. It is intense, especially when it comes in the form of a teenage crush. When Dawn was 14, she took a trip with her family to visit some relatives. And at our Winnipeg show, Dawn read three diary entries, recounting what can only be described as an epic crush.
2: December 29th, 1991. After Christmas, Mom, Claude, Lindsay, Bailey, and I went to Auntie Gerda and Uncle Marcel's to stay a couple of nights. When we got to Jackfish Lake, we walked in their house, and I just about fainted. Nathan Scott was there with Chris. He is so gorgeous. I met him last summer and went tubing with him, and had a crush on him ever since. He was wearing a neon orange and neon blue wetsuit when I first saw him. Now, he was wearing preppy jeans and a white t-shirt, and he had kind of a mushroom cut. He was so gorgeous. (laughs) Last summer, he was shy and quiet, but this time, when it was just me, him, and Chris, he was a riot. We played some kind of poker for pennies, and Nathan had such good cards that he pretended to phone the Swiss bank for them to send him 10 million airmail. He's so funny. (laughs) During our poker game, he ran his fingers through his hair on the side twice, and it kind of feathered lightly, then fell back perfectly into place. He was raking in all the dough during the game, and whenever Chris said something to him, Nathan pretended to have to shovel through all of his money to reach Chris. He's got such a great sense of humor. After our game, he got up and stretched. More about that later. And he looked so gorgeous doing it. December 30th, 1991. I went skidooing with Chris and Nathan, and I sat on the back of Chris's skidoo, unfortunately. Chris wanted me to wear ski pants, but I said, no way, because they look so nerdy. And he said, why not? The only people who will see you are me and Nathan. Exactly. Nathan went with us, and he wore a black, dark blue, and neon red jacket with a matching helmet. What a babe. He was going pretty fast over hills and stuff, and I was actually scared he would break his neck. When we got back, I took off my helmet and sat in front of the fire. Chris informed me that I reminded him of Jennifer, this really stupid girl that lives on Jackfish Lake. I said, thanks a lot, and Nathan said, I don't think so. And he looked straight at me with those huge blue eyes, and I just about melted. And then this part is in all caps. Lindsay, I can't believe what a cow you are for snooping in my diary. I hate you and all of your little friends that are probably also reading this. You'd better start acting your age, not a snotty little sixth grader. You should be mature enough to know how to respect other people's belongings, and I hate you for reading my diary. And then I sign it with my name as if she doesn't know who. December 31st, 1991. This morning, Nathan came to Chris's house to say bye to me. Chris is going to send me a picture of Nathan because I'm too darn chicken to ask him myself. Chris and Nathan love listening to someone named Stevie Ray Vaughan's music. He's apparently really good at guitar. I really can't believe Nathan's changed so much. He's so perfect. Michael Bolton's song, Now That I Found You, truly describes how I feel. I miss Nathan already, and I saw him just this morning. I don't mean to sound perverted, But when Nathan stretched after playing cards, I noticed he had a line of light brown hair from his belly button down. I know it sounds sick, but it's true. And then this part is in all caps again. Lindsay, if you are reading this, I will wring your neck.
0: Our next reader, Anayat, grew up in Dubai, and when he was 10, Anayat wrote a short story that was published in a local children's magazine. This is the story of a young boy named Ron who overcomes a group of bullies in his high school. Please welcome to our stage, Anayat.
7: Ron's victory by Anayat Singh. Frank and his friends were big bullies. Everybody knew that. One morning, their class teacher, Miss Biggs, two Gs, announced that a new boy would be joining their class. Frank and his gang looked at each other and smirked. His name is Ron, Miss Biggs went on, and I want all of you to be kind and friendly to him. Then she asked Ron to come inside. A very short boy wearing glasses entered. He looked very shy. Miss Biggs Asked him to sit next to Nikhil. Nikhil was the best boy in the class. <laughs> and Miss Biggs kind of depended on him to take care of new admissions. <laughs> While the class went on, Nikhil and Ron seemed to be getting on quite well. Soon it was lunchtime, and Nikhil and Ron had lunch together. They were talking to each other nonstop and were getting to be very good friends. There were 15 minutes left before class started, so both of them decided to go out and play. As soon as they were out, Frank and his gang came up to them. Hello, my name is Frank. (laughs) And these are my friends. (laughs) Would you like to join our gang? Ron smiled at them while he thought. Nikhil came close to Ron and whispered, Don't join their gang. (laughs) They are the biggest bullies in our class. Once you join their gang, they will force you to bully others. And if you don't, they will trouble you. So Ron turned down Frank's offer. Frank frowned and went away. A (laughs) A few weeks passed. Ron and Nikhil had become close friends. Frank would try his best to bully Ron by making fun of his height and his glasses. Once he even tried to hit him, but Nikhil interfered and Frank went away. (laughs) After that incident, Frank and his gang were looking for an opportunity to get back at Ron and Nikhil. One day, Nikhil came to school looking very sad and told Ron that his father had got a transfer and they would be relocating to the US. Ron stared at him in disbelief. They exchanged email addresses and decided to mail each other every day. That was Nikhil's last day in school. Finally, and this next part is in bold for some reason, uh, Ron decided that he had had enough of bullying from Frank and his gang. Ron was not strong, but he was brave and intelligent. He decided at last to stand up to the bullies. He complained to Miss Biggs first. But it was of no good. Frank and his gang continued their tricks. Then, Ron thought of a plan. He went up to the bullies and joined them. And one by one, he won Frank's friends over. He started telling them that Frank was not a nice person. He told them about how Frank was a bully and how he used them only to get his work done. All of Frank's friends realized that Ron was right and left Frank. They even threatened him that if he ever troubled anybody again, he would not be spared. (laughs) Frank gave up and never again troubled anybody. At the same time, Ron and his friends got popular for all the good things they did together for everyone in school. The end.
0: Like I said, Anayat's story was published in a local children's magazine in
7: Dubai, where he grew up. And I won a prize for the story. I won a hundred dirham, that's about 30 Canadian dollars, a gift voucher from the baby shop.
0: A lot of what people bring to grown-ups read things they wrote as kids is funny. Some of it is unintentionally funny. Some of it is awkwardly funny. But sometimes that funny is mixed in with bittersweet. When our next reader, Sonia, was 15, she was going through a really deep depression. She had body image issues. Her dad had just had a heart attack. She was not in a great place. So, like many teenagers, she used her diary as a place to vent. Now, a quick heads up, Sonia's diary entries include a few cuss words, which we do not bleep. Okay, there's your heads up, live on stage in Winnipeg, here's Sonia.
6: All right, uh, this diary was so secret, it was even secret from me, because I censored bits of it. <laughs> so, so, July 20th, 2001, 3.15 a.m., I wish I had been born a boy. Boys don't have to worry about makeup, getting pregnant, being raped, periods, hassle for being a girl, being called the slut, accidentally shaving off their eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> plucking their eyebrows in perfect arches on a daily basis, mood swings that accompany teenage female puberty, having to look like Britney Spears in order for boys to give you the time of day, etc., etc., etc. I can't do one thing because I'm a girl. I can't do another because I'm a girl. Girl, 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 beauty, 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 thin, thin, thin. September 22nd, 2001, midnight. We, my family and I, are going to go to Winnipeg on Thursday of next week. Mom owes me a CD, since she said that if I didn't wear my fairy wings to school, she'd get me a CD in Winnipeg, (laughs) so I didn't wear my fairy wings. But I did put my hair into pigtails, and walked around school all day with a grater, a cheese (laughs) grater. I don't know why I took the freaking grater to school. Everyone including teachers teased me. I just thought it looked cool, and it was by far fucking better than a purse (laughs) This was on Thursday today was Friday and I wore my PJ pants with a thick black sweater and the cheese grater again I got teased again, but surprisingly, I don't seem to give a shit. Honestly, I'm sick to death of everything at school. The way everyone's dressing is becoming annoying, and I feel a need to break away. When I look back on this stage of my life, I hope I don't regret dressing like an idiot. <laughs> I, hope, <laughs> I hope I remember that for the first time in school, I was being myself, and I wasn't afraid, and I could handle the insults. I don't care. I'm starting to believe those antidepressants are starting to kick in. In the words of the Oasis song, Supersonic, I need to be myself. (laughs) All right, October 22nd, 01, 11.41 p.m. Feeling so sad and no one cares. I'm very near the point of tears and I'm afraid to write this down because when I'm having one of those high, high days, I don't want to look back into the past at all the sad pages. I think that's probably why I don't write very often. All I write about is how sad I am and all the other major bullshit. It's not even worth the fucking paper. I don't want to write anymore, but I don't know if I can stop myself since I have a zillion things on my mind and every time a tear escapes my eyes, it feels like it's made of that clay we used in native studies to make pots. It felt like what a desert would feel like if you could hold it in your hand. October 29th, 01, 10.15 p.m. You know what, journal? You're my only real friend. It's kind of weird that I I tell paper stuff I would never tell a human being. Only you and me know this stuff. Not even my future human, best friend, will be allowed to read this stuff. It's too personal, and I hope you don't feel insulted by the next bit, but I think I don't tell you everything. There's so much shit running through my brain that it's almost impossible to write it all down. I'm sorry that you don't know everything about me, but even I don't know everything about me sometimes. Thanks.
0: One more time for Sonya. After the show, Sonya called in to reflect on revisiting her diary.
8: It brought me right back to when I wrote these entries. Like, being that weirdo 15-year-old girl who carried a cheese grater around to try and find out where she fit. And I really was surprised by how much I treated this diary as a good friend rather than as just the book I put my thoughts into, because I was so friendless at the time, so it was good to have somebody I could tell everything to. I still deal with depression to this day, so it's a big thing right now that things did get better. And it's... It's that knowledge that helps me deal with my depression now. Because there's always a sunnier day that's coming. And I think the reason why I was so upset back in the days when I wrote this was because I didn't know that things were going to get better. So if you go back in time to talk to the girl who wrote these entries, myself, (laughs) I would let them know that things do get better.
0: One of the fundamental principles of Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is empathy. The hope is that by sharing this stuff, we can get a better sense of what it's like to be somebody else, to better understand what they're feeling. And our next reader, Travis, brought along a short story that touches on that theme of empathy, except instead of better understanding another person's feelings, Travis's story is all about better understanding an animal's feelings. Here's Travis reading a story entitled, A Day as a Duck, <laughs> written in grade three. Please welcome to our Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids stage, Travis.
1: Once a man named Joe went hunting for ducks. There were four ducks in the pond he was heading to. They saw the man and they started to huddle together. They started to discuss a plan about how to get the man away. Quack, quack, quack. Quack, quack, quack. By the time the man got there, they were done discussing. The man took out his gun and aimed. Three, two, Screamed the leader duck. One duck grabbed hold of the man's left ear. One grabbed hold of his right ear. One grabbed hold of his coat. And the leader duck grabbed hold of his nose. They all grabbed with their beaks. (laughs) They started to flap their wings. The man rose up into the air and above the pond. They let go of him and he landed in the pond with a big splash. Splash. (laughs) The ducks flew away as fast as a lightning bolt. Then another duck came to the pond in front of the man. I will give you one chance, said the duck. Because this one can speak English. <laughs> the next time you go hunting for ducks, you'll be given a punishment. I will not tell you what the punishment is, but it will be surprising. <laughs> the duck flew away, and the man got out of the pond. The next day, the man got out of bed and put his coat on. He got his gun and mumbled to himself. That duck won't see me. I'll just shoot him first. (laughs) He went into the forest by the pond where he was before. He aimed his gun and saw a duck. He was about to shoot when another duck came in front of him. It was the talking duck he had seen before. (laughs) The duck looked very angry. (laughs) I gave you one chance and you blew it, said the duck. Now I shall give you your punishment. You shall be a duck for a day. No, I won't. I'll shoot you before you can turn me into a duck. But before he could pull the trigger, the duck touched the man, and the man fainted. The next morning, the man got out of bed, but it wasn't his usual bed. (laughs) Hey, who put this pile of twigs in my bedroom, exclaimed the man. I'm going to tell the police that somebody stole my bed. He climbed out of his bed and slipped off the edge of the pile of sticks. He fell about a foot and then started to wave his arms. Whoa! He he realized that he wasn't waving his arms, but flapping his wings. He flew around in surprise. He flew down to see his reflection in the water. Awk, I'm a duck, he quacked. I quack, he quacked. (laughs) While he was looking at his reflection, a man came up behind him. He had a gun. The duck turned around and saw the man. Help, he quacked. Three of the ducks that he tried to shoot before came, and he apologized to the ducks with a series of quacks. (laughs) They used the same plan that the three ducks used earlier. This time, he was the leader. They dropped the other man into the pond. The four ducks flew away. The magical duck came back, and the whole thing happened again.
4: Travis, ladies and gentlemen, nicely done.
0: Our next reading requires a little bit of sports knowledge. All you really need to know is that in 1998 at the Olympic Winter Games, a Canadian snowboarder named Ross Rebliati won a gold medal. It was an Olympic snowboarding first. It was a very big deal for Canada. But as you may remember, there was a scandal a drug scandal involving marijuana, and it was all very traumatic. And while all of this was going on, our next reader, Brady, was in grade nine. And inspired by Ross Rebliotti's story, Brady wrote a report for his social studies class called Ross the Golden Pothead.
4: Brady is going to read that right now. So, Ross the Golden Pothead, Snowboarding's Image and Drugs in Canada. Uh, Snowboarding's bad boy image is disappearing quickly, although some snowboarders only stoke the flame. On that fateful day, February 7th, 1998, Ross Rebliatti stepped up to the starting gate on the snowboarding giant slalom at Hukuba Mountain in Nagano. His narrow wind sent Canadians all over the world to jump up and cry, Yes! All seemed fine until that night, 5 a.m. local time, when when drug testing results came up, positive for a minimal, even minuscule amount of marijuana in his bloodstream, 17.8 nanograms per milliliter. This shocked Canadians all around the world and only confirmed the widespread thoughts of snowboarding's evil facade. Luckily, the IOC ruled to let Lars keep his medal, deciding in the end that marijuana is, in fact, not a performance-enhancing drug. (laughs) And the minuscule amount of marijuana in his system could not have affected him much. I have a quote from somebody on the Transworld Snowboarding message board who said, I have seen my roommate when he's been doping, and he couldn't operate a can opener, let alone speed around slalom gates at 90 miles per hour. If anything, the weed would have inhibited his performance. I have also heard about numerous mothers talking about how they would not let their children participate in snowboarding because of the crowd surrounding it. I feel sad for these children because they do not know what they are missing. People all over Canada have the impression that snowboarding is evil and I will attempt to explain why in the next section. Ross had 17.8 nanograms of marijuana in his system, which is a very small amount. Some of the people who were at Ross's going away party said, the amount of marijuana smoke emanating from the house could have given someone standing a block away that amount of marijuana in his system. (laughs) The drug Ross was supposed to have used is as popular today as it was back in the 1970s, during the flower age. Many teenagers have been using marijuana as a way to escape from supposedly oppressive parents, etc. (laughs) Many parties these days incorporate marijuana and alcohol, and the peer pressure is tremendous. Many cannot resist the temptations, and usage is widespread. A lot of people are attempting to get marijuana legalized, and Ross can be seen as the poster boy, since so many saw when he got off unscathed. In Whistler, Ross's hometown, more than 80% of the population has confessed to using marijuana at one time or another. (laughs) And many claim that Whistler is the partying capital of Canada. Can the police stop such a widespread infestation? You know the old saying, the RCMP have the best weed. It seems like it could well be true. Marijuana
0: legalization activist Brady, ladies and gentlemen. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Park Theater in Winnipeg and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullitone. Special thanks to the Winnipeg International Writers Festival. We are planning many more live events for 2016, and I would love to hear the stuff you wrote when you were a kid. If you'd like a heads up about our upcoming shows, join the email newsletter. You can sign up at grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com or, even easier, use the link in the show notes to this episode. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.